welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Oh, that sounded like a what? little throaty. Really? Well, you've had a long week. You like I launched know. a brand. Ugh. How does it's, it feel? Yeah. It's like having um, a child. That's what everybody keeps saying, but is it though? I feel like I've it never is. had a kid, so I don't. It's can't similar relate. in that like you're never off the clock. That's true. And you're worried yeah. about it all the time. I don't know. I guess it's just we'd been working on it for so long and now it's here. And it actually feels nice because I don't have to be uh, secretive anymore. That, yeah, finally, we can just talk about it and you can say you're not just working on like a secret project. I have a job. I have a job. <laughs> you're employed. What are you doing for Gay Pride for the brand? What performative <laughs> bullshit are you going <laughs> to... I like, am excited to see how, like, in 2021, brands, like, tiptoe around gay pride. Because now, like, the bullshit that they would be able to do, like, create, like, a mini set in, like, a rainbow pouch is not going to work anymore. So I'm very curious to see what people do. So you haven't seen anything yet? I feel like I've seen some, somebody posted Balenciaga underwear with a rainbow band. <laughs> Is that all we get, though? I'm looking on Trend Mood, which is where I get all of my news. As a gay man, do you like rainbow? <laughs> like, do you, is it no. something you gravitate well, towards? <laughs> that's actually a great question. As a gay man, I did buy an Elder Statesman rainbow sweater a few weeks ago. So it would be dishonest if I said that I didn't like rainbows. But it's not like there's no rainbows in our house. Did you buy it because I bought it, it because it was on sale? Or? <laughs> got it. Got it. You know how like at a sample sale, you'll sometimes buy things that you don't really love, but you love that you're getting it at such a good price. This is why I don't go to sample sales anymore. And I also avoided the Essence sale this week. Oof. I have no money. <laughs> no, I have I no money. Yeah. Welcome to startup world. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. There's like a Mac highlighter in a rainbow. Is there any other rainbow things? Everything looks like a rainbow to me. I don't have TikTok. So the TikTok video was on Twitter, TwitTok. And <laughs> I don't have was, TikTok. I got a newspaper article about a TikTok <laughs> video. But it, this guy was doing reviews of all the Target gay pride stuff. Can we play some? I'll find it and then we can play the clip. First here we have a rainbow striped button down shirt that is so ugly it stops being gay and swings around to being aggressively heterosexual. Three out of five stars. And here we have this RuPaul t-shirt. I like fracking. Yes, I do. I like fracking. How about you? Five out of five. And we have the rainbow Mickey Mouse t-shirt. I can respect a good Disney movie, but the Disney gays are holding us all back as a society. For every one of these t-shirts sold, they should be taking away at least one of our rights. Six out of five stars. And we have this ally t-shirt. If you feel the need to wear this shirt, what are you trying to prove? Need to make every issue about yourself? Five out of five. Okay, besides gay pride, what else is going on with you? My mom's coming to New York. So that'll be fun. But are you going to have to work the whole time? No, I'm taking two days off of work. I actually planned ahead, thank God, because normally I don't. And can you imagine if she came and I was like, well, let's do this. And then because of COVID, you have to have reservations three weeks in advance for everything. That and then it would have just ruined just the trip. About. <laughs> and then I would have just had this like ongoing guilt. Do they allow three people in the cloisters at one time? How did you know? Like I, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Nick, because I'm, what am I, I was I'm not a fucking, because, I'm not a rookie. This it's is where you birthday. take a parent. It's her birthday. It's her birthday. Oh, my That's God. You know what she did, which is so evil? It was such an evil mom move. She told me the date she was coming, but didn't say, oh, you know, it's my birthday. 
She just let you figure that out. But you know what? I figured it out the next day. And I let her know. I was like, I know it's your birthday when you're coming. You thought you could pull a fast <laughs> on me. You thought you would be here to see, so I could witness the disappointment in your face mm-hmm. firsthand when I forgot. Nope. 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 You know what Mm-mm. a friend Mm-mm. of mine once said to me? What? Don't fuck with a fucker. Or you're else you know what happens. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that like- Or you me don't... a fucker. <laughs> I'm <Both>. a fucker. <laughs> I think it might be more of like a genetic trait or like a hereditary thing. Fuckerness. I would identify with, I, I think I might be <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I just like say like, you know, if you don't want to get fucked, then don't fuck with a fucker, you know? Anyway, mm-hmm, should we do mm-hmm. top stories? Yeah. I did not know this, what? but apparently all this entire time, Chris Jenner was the CEO of Kylie Cosmetics and Kylie I Skincare. Found, <laughs> I just found that out too. <laughs> it, that is insane Well, interim? Oh, right. Okay, fine. She was the interim CEO of Kylie Cosmetics and Kylie Skincare, and then just announced in Women's Wear Daily that she was stepping aside, and a guy named Andrew Stanlake, who is... You guessed it, a white guy, is the new CEO of Kylie Cosmetics, and Kris Jenner is going to remain on the board, and her LLC is called King Kylie LLC, which is the joint venture between Cody, the company that bought Kylie Cosmetics, and I guess the brands, Kylie Cosmetics and Kylie Skincare. So he's overseeing this next iteration of Kylie Cosmetics, according to WWD. So they're merging... In one website, in one shopping experience, both Kylie Cosmetics and Kylie Skin for the first time, because I guess they were separate before, which had to be some sort of like legal money chess game loophole that Kris Jenner devised, because we always knew that was weird. And then they're saying that she's going to have like a refresh of the products over the summer. So whatever that means. There were a few other nuggets in this Women's Wear Daily article, among them, Kim Kardashian's skincare line is set to launch at some point after July of this summer so that it could come as soon as this summer, which is hold on to your seat, people. And then number two, the new or relatively new CEO of Cody, Sue Nabby, she did say on Cody's last earnings call that there had been a disruption to Kylie Cosmetics supply chain as a result of a lawsuit that they were in with the company that was actually producing all of Kylie Cosmetics called Seed Beauty, which Sue Nabby had said negatively impacted the brand's performance. So So there was drama there. So there was drama. We were wondering, Seed and Kylie, that was how the company came to be, right? They were the foundation for all of Kylie Cosmetics. And then Kylie, I guess, pulled away to do the Cody deal. And then they accused her of, you know, stealing trade secrets or whatever it was. Probably because they owned her formulas, don't you think? There's this weird thing for people listening where you can, as a brand, as a company, go to a contract manufacturer, which is like the quote unquote lab. They'll make your products for you. They'll develop the product for you. But separately, you must buy the formula if you want to own basically the recipe. Otherwise, you don't have access to that. And it's very expensive. So maybe I'm just, I'm guessing here that Seed probably owned the formulas. It just says that Seed accused Kylie Jenner of sharing trade secrets with Cody. Um, And Kim, KKW Beauty, Kim's line had also received a similar lawsuit or been slapped with a similar lawsuit, as they say in the biz. And yeah, so I guess this had a negative impact on the business and... 
thoughts and prayers to the Jenner Kardashians. Okay, so actual thoughts and prayers to Naomi Osaka, who is competing, I guess, in a tournament that I've never heard of. Are you a tennis guy, Nick? You're you're a chic, no? I, Do, I you don't know the I, difference. Yeah, I don't know what a sport. I don't know sports. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry. So I guess it's the French Open. Is Roland Garros and the French Open the same thing? Guys, I'm trying to figure this out real time. If you are listening and you're a tennis fan, feel free to write in. Yeah, basically there's like a big tennis performance that Naomi Osaka was supposed to be <laughs> in. <laughs> and essentially she said that she wasn't going to do press surrounding the performance because usually they all have to be like on a press panel and then they'll say like, how do you feel about having to go up against venus williams or or whatever and then they like get psyched out sometimes and they can be asked really any questions that the press wants to ask them and so naomi osaka was like screw that i'm just not doing the press like i don't want to be psyched out i don't want to be subjected to like hurtful or harmful questions and lines of questioning and so she's just not going to do it she posted this on instagram notes app long form love it and then in the next slide on her instagram it's a like throwback video clip of Venus Williams being interviewed by this reporter. And he's like, are you confident? And she's smiling and she's like, yes, of course I'm confident. And then he's like, why? Like just totally psyching her out, making her second guess herself. And I hate the kind of entertainment. It's almost like reality show vibes after basketball, the games where they make players, even if they lost, do these post-game interviews and they're super bummed. They're in a bad mood. They have all this weird adrenaline from the game. And they have all these reporters in their face just basically like, it's like, you know, when something bad happens in your life and you don't tell that one friend because they're just going to be an asshole about it. It's like 50 of those friends that you're not even friends with trying to ask you annoying questions when you just had a bad day and all you want to do is go home and eat like... Magic spoon? Protein or whatever they eat. Yeah, magic spoon. So yeah, she's basically saying even if she gets fined, because I guess that's what happens if you refuse to participate in these like press sessions that she's going to be cool with that because it's for her mental health. But I also think it's funny when athletes get fined for things because it's like (laughs) a drop in the bucket for them. Yeah, it's like $500. (laughs) Like a basketball player could beat up a fan and they're like, he was fined $5,000 for that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this was a story that I suggested we cover, which was there's something going on with Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox the amount of, not to shame you PDA. Explain, wait, just explain who they are for people that don't know. Megan Fox, I've like long had a fascination with Megan Fox because she was set up 10 years ago to be the next Angelina Jolie. She was on the cover of all the magazines and then she ended up speaking out about a lot of like sexism and fucked up Michael shit Bay. in Hollywood. About Michael Bay, who was the director of the Transformers movies, who made her audition by washing a car. One of his cars at his house, I think. And she like talked about it on a talk show. He got pissed off. She was kind of blacklisted. Anyway, she broke up with Brian Austin Green from 90210, which brings (laughs) us to today, where she's now dating a young musical upstart named Machine Gun Kelly. He's 31. Believe it, that is not his birth name. (laughs) And they like are basically doing like the Pamela and Tommy Lee rounds of going to red carpet events. And Megan Fox was wearing like a Rose McGowan MTV Movie Awards, like see-through stringy thing. It was cool, but like very like a naked dress. And then they're like making out. Sorry, Nick, are you, did that make you uncomfortable? No, I loved it. Did the woman 
because it was a woman's body <laughs> and she was like confident. No, her, yeah, her confidence I found, <laughs> I found really problematic. No, Are you questioning just, her confidence? No, I think what's in interesting her, in her, is just her the, the public display, the public display of like their love and relationship feels very reminiscent of a lot of similar displays in the late 90s and early 2000s, like Marilyn Manson and Rose McGowan or... Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie and her brother. Her brother. <laughs> um, anyway, Machine Gun Kelly was on the Billboard Music Awards red carpet with Miss Fox. And he, for the event, had gotten his makeup done. More specifically, he had gotten his tongue painted black. For the event. This whole story made me realize this behind the scenes look, this pulling back of the curtain to see how these A-listers become these icons for the red carpet, right? It makes, I don't, now I don't care. It takes all of the intensity and emotion out of the final look. Like I saw the photo of the Q-tip with the black die on his tongue yeah. and I was like this is so not cool that you're like you should have just shown up with a black tongue if that was your thing right yeah yeah it's like I don't want to know how the sausage is made in that case no it takes away it. the magic right and so then they were making out what with the black dye in the mouth yeah is that what like happened? they were making out on the red carpet he had okay. black dye and people were more confused I think than they were excited about the black dye but anyway props to machine gun Kelly to Mr. Kelly for expressing himself in a new and interesting way. Oh, I have another sports story, Nick. Are you going to be okay with this one? And it also involves a woman's body. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kidding. Nick, you've always been a champion for women and you're a 100%. father of a daughter. Yeah. Anyway, this is actually pretty upsetting. A little confusing how I feel about this, but I also feel like this should be an exception to the rule. So basically what's happening is there's Olympians that are preparing to bet uh, the Tokyo Games that are happening later this year, as we all know. They're still like branding it as Tokyo 2020 because I guess they don't want to redo all the merchandise. <laughs> and there's Olympians competing with these young children. Some of them are still breastfeeding. But the issue is because of COVID restrictions, Tokyo is only letting a certain number of foreign visitors into the country, no foreign spectators to watch the actual games. And it could mean that mothers that are competing are being split apart from their young children. And again, like they're... they're if they're even breastfeeding, they wouldn't be able to bring exactly. their kids. Exactly. Right. And so this is obviously causing a ton of issues for these athletes, some of whom are saying there's like a chance that this would mean they're not going to compete because they would rather be with their children or they would have to make the very, it seems like, difficult choice to not be with their children. And so, yeah, I guess we'll just like kind of watch this story because it doesn't seem like they have a solution yet. But interesting because, you know, oftentimes people just don't think about these issues that women and mothers face. And this is something that because of biology that men don't have to deal with. All right, let's talk about men dealing with things. <laughs> this is another sports story, kind of. One that you brought to the table. I actually found this sports story. A sports person named Alex Rodriguez, a.k.a. <laughs> A-Rod. Do you know what sport that he played? <laughs> Baseball. Yes. Okay, good. We've long known that both A-Rod and J-Lo have been shilling for hims and hers, the telemedicine company that makes, I was going to be crude about it. They make products available that are 
typically prescription only for hair loss and for erectile dysfunction for both men and women. We've seen the ads that JLo has done talking about how she started taking hair loss medication and she's now has much thicker, fuller hair. Now A-Rod is shilling a concealer that he is calling the blur stick. He says that he was one of the co-creators of the blur stick. His quote from hims and hers, the company, is, quote, for years I've been looking for something that I can use to touch up a blemish or razor bump quickly and discreetly, and the hims and hers product development team has delivered it. And there was an entire campaign of him like in the mirror putting on concealer. And we've talked about men's makeup on the podcast before. In order for men's makeup to really be normalized, we would need like a big sports star to say that they use it. So this to me is like a big step forward in that he's someone who the men of the world, like the heterosexual, like cool dudes of the world respect and think is like a good athlete. And so if he's wearing makeup, maybe everyone can start wearing makeup. That is not what Twitter thinks. <laughs> I had the good fortune, misfortune of stumbling upon a Twitter news article, I think from TMZ or page six or no, it couldn't have been page six, maybe like sports center classics, whatever. And all of the comments below were from probably people that we don't would not have a lot in common with leaving very like crude responses about how makeup is for women. Got it. That was yeah. like the takeaway. Oh, it was a lot of that. Really? Yes. I'm like, how are you guys on Twitter? How do you consume media on the internet? But of course, we know with everything that happened with the world for the past four years that just because you're consuming media on the internet doesn't mean it's left-leaning, liberal, progressive. Can't makeup reach across the aisles and really just unite us all? No, it's for women. Republicans and conservatives get blemishes too. They deal with it like a man. (laughs) <laughs> Which is how they stay home. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I got onto the hymns blur stick product page. <laughs> Do you see the photo of him? He looks yeah, really I mean, not comfortable. Lo- I will he say he looks really not comfortable. Number one, number two, he needs someone to help him with shade matching ASAP. It, yeah, it doesn't match. <laughs> um, it's very yellow. <laughs> what I love is looking at the copy that people think that men you know, will want to listen to the three things that they advertise about the blur sticker. One, you can conceal acne, dark spots, and more. It even mentions covering up a hickey. You can can apply it in seconds with your finger. So it's really fast. And then it's sleek, discreet tube with a secure top. So it's just like, it, it could be like a pen. You know what I mean? Or like a lip balm. It says, leave no trace. Undetectable coverage, easy application. Ever wish you could erase a pimple or a blemish before going out? Cover up a hickey the next day? We've been there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it's $17. They have this seal. You know how you go on like websites and they'll have like the Allure Beauty Awards winner seal. They made a yeah. seal that says developed with A-Rod. <laughs> They're trying. This copy God down here them. is pretty good. Looking good, man. Wanting to touch up your complexion? There's no shame in that game. that's why we worked with a-rod to develop a simple to use fun to wear there you go product that helps guys feel confident and proud of their skin i look nick and i agree with this sentiment it's just the execution's a little clunky because a-rod looks very uncomfortable and the elephant in the room is this campaign came out when j-lo started dating ben affleck again so the timing is just a little rich 
The one thing I want to just remind people of is, and there are people among us, among our listeners who probably used Old Spice body wash back in the day. I always found it so funny to read the copy on the back of the Old Spice body wash. This was actually one of the things that inspired me when I was doing Necessaire because I just found it so ridiculously gendered the way that like it's like body wash is fucking body wash it's soap for your body right like why does it have to be for men or for women this is the body wash by old spice it's called swagger the currently available popular body wash by old spice bathe yourself in power everyone wants it but not everyone starts the day washing himself in it (laughs) We formulated Old Spice Red Zone Body Wash for men who want power to seep into their very pores. (laughs) Refreshing lather, choke slams, dirt and odor away from your body, and the powerful scent turns your regular bathroom into an executive washroom. Scrub your outer shell of weakness away and leave your inner shell of power shining. It's refreshing lather, drop kicks dirt and odor, does a clothesline on them, and then slams them with a folding chair. And the hydrating formula leaves your skin smooth, not tight or dry or on the curb, crying into the rain. I don't like all the violence. It's just like crazy. It's like not that funny like, to me. I, mean, I get it. Like They're trying to be funny. That? I don't know. Choke slam is such like a violent. I hate yeah. That. That's so gross. Have you ever like been around guys when they've gotten in like a fight? It's so, I hate it. It's so uncomfortable. One night I was out with a group of friends and one of the men that we were with was very intoxicated and got into a scuffle with someone on the street. And I just flung my arm out, got a cab and left. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's so gross to me. It's so disgusting. I hate, I hate like aggressive people. It's so disgusting. And also that copy is rife with claims terminology. Like yeah. power is going to seep into your pores. I would like to see what the FDA has to say about that. Yeah. I would like to see the clinicals on that bitch. Where are my salad heads at? Exciting news for my salad heads. That sweet green... Not only did they launch a custom bowl in collaboration with our friend Naomi Osaka, but they also debuted a rebrand, a new logo, a new store design. (sighs) They made a real big campaign out of this. They really did. They're trying to refocus on, quote, connecting people to real food. They call the new color that their logo sits on kale. It's like and dark green. It, it's, it's green. With lime green over it. It does look like the little like lime circle that they leave in your salad that I always like stick my fork into and almost eat. I'm like, just do it for me. You know what I mean? When they leave the lime yeah. wedge in there, I'm just what like I don't want rind. It looks, It is what it is. It is what it is. Shall we get into our interview? Yes. I liked this one. Me too. Our interview this week is with Dr. Shanive Jenatin, who owns Brooklyn Face and Eye, a plastic surgery clinic in Brooklyn, as you might have guessed. She is a plastic surgeon. Actually, she is a oculoplastic surgeon, which means she specializes in eyes. 
And specifically, she's become kind of like a go-to New York plastic surgeon for quote-unquote eye jobs. What are eye jobs, you ask? We wanted to find out, in part because Annie declared several weeks ago that, what did you say? Eye jobs are the new boob jobs. In terms of invasive plastic surgery. This is not your mama's eye job. This is not something that 60 or 70 year old women are getting to look younger. This is something that young people are getting even in their 20s or 30s to look a little bit more refreshed, a little bit more snatched. We talked about threads before in our one of our first episodes, didn't we? Yeah, we did. That is not what Dr. Jenatin does. Dr. Jenatin is the eye specialist. We'll get into it, but she like really knows her stuff around eyes. And then she was thinking like, I want to focus on the aesthetic part because not only is she a doctor, she is an artist, really. She really is. And she was actually just really cool. I just, Nick, you did a good job in the interview of getting into like. Thank she's you. Very, well, oh. you always do. You always do. She just is comfortable. It's so yeah. true with plastic surgeons. Everyone knows the story. They're like an old man that you have nothing in common with. And you're trying to tell him what you want your body to look like for the next 10 years. and <laughs> Make that little change for you. And she's very much like a peer in a lot of ways. Honestly, if I was going to get any kind of neck up plastic surgery, I would definitely book an appointment with Dr. Jenatin after this interview. Here it is. So Dr. Jenatin, you are based in Brooklyn and you focus on the face and the eye in particular. Yes. My official title is an oculofacial plastic surgeon. That was always your like sweet sauce was that particular part of plastic surgery? Totally. So my path is like a little bit different for a plastic surgeon. I started with training on the eye in its entirety. And then I quickly came to realize that I was much more in love with the outside of the eye and it's sort of like aesthetics and function and appearance much more than the inside of the eye. And that's how I sort of delved into my specialty. Before we get into the theme of the interview, which is eye jobs are the new boob jobs. (laughs) I love that, by the way. I saw on your website, you're also a diplomat of the American Board of Ophthalmology, which Mm -hmm. sounds pretty impressive. So is that, does that go along with, you have to be trained on the full eye to be a diplomat of the eye. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I like that. I I feel like I'm part of a dip set the way you say it, but yes, Um, I'm a diplomat of the eye. Basically that just says that I'm like a board certified ophthalmologist that I went and I did all my training and I passed all my exams and any hoop they like asked me to jump through. I did. Got it. You don't have like embassies in every country. No, I wish. For this kind of dip diplomacy. Interesting. interesting. Got it. (laughs) I've actually seen an oculo. I don't even know how to say it, but I think I've seen one of you. One of my peeps. And what's interesting about your specialty from what I could gather is that when people think of a plastic surgeon, they think of the plastic surgeons on the e-channel. And a lot of the people in your specialty are much more physicians and surgeons or, you know, hard science medical professionals rather than what you would consider like a sharkskin shoe plastic surgeon kind of vibe. But you do a lot of aesthetic surgeries, right? My practice is primarily aesthetics. I don't do a lot of the medical work these days, but I think what you're referencing is just sort of like this commitment to a specialty. Like a general plastic surgeon is really taking care of anything like boobs today, butts tomorrow, nose the day after. Whereas for me, it's like day after day is like eyes and more eyes and more eyes, you know? So I think that's the difference when you're seeing like a super duper niche subspecialist. It's really just like that hardcore focus on like this one tiny little zone. 
I always wondered about that. So are there plastic surgeons that, you know, someone would go in and say, hey, I want my boobs done, but also can you take care of my eyes? That happens. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I can totally see how a lot of things could go very wrong. Not that it, a lot of things can't go very wrong with all types of surgery, but when you're dealing with the potential to lose your sight, you would want a specialist in there. You know, I don't want to make it sound like they're not adequately trained, but I can't help anyone with their boobs. I don't even enter into that conversation. It's really just, this is all I know how to do, to be honest with you, surgically. So my initial conception of what like an eye job was, was actually going back to the trend in South Korea, which was like for their 18th birthday or their 16th birthday, a lot of girls in South Korea were getting, I guess, like their upper lids reduced so that they didn't have quote unquote like more Asian looking eyes. So it would sort of like westernize their eye look. Is that still the surgery that we're talking about or is this a new sort of iteration of that surgery? So that's one of the procedures that we perform, but I would say like the eye job is typically not that procedure when we're like generally speaking about it. What you're talking about, it's sometimes called like the double lid crease surgery or double eyelid refinement. And it's basically because, you know, in some Asian features, the eyelid crease isn't really well formed. And like some women like opt to use little bits of tape and stuff so they can have a little bit more play, more room for makeup. And if someone just wants like the ease of being able to apply and not having to like deal with like tape and whatever else, you can just get this little procedure that will create a crease. It's essentially just like cutting out a little bit and stitching together on the eyelid, right? I could totally geek out on this if you want. So you cut out a little bit of skin and a little bit of muscle underneath, and then you put deep stitches. And basically what that does is it creates like a little baby plane of scar tissue that looks like a crease so that when the eye blinks, you actually see like a little indentation. So it's like the one plastic surgery where you want the scar like actually has a function. Absolutely. I'm already learning something that I didn't know about eyes, which is that your eyelid, I guess I just had never thought about it, but your eyelid has muscles inside of it. Yeah. (laughs) Eyelid. No, like we always just think of this monolithic thing. But if you talk to any eyelid plastic surgeon, we always talk about the eyelid in terms of its layers. There's like the top layer, the middle layer, the bottom layer. And we're always just like describing everything in terms of like how they relate to each other. And so what is the eye job that you do day in and day out? Nine to five. Yeah. So it's called the blepharoplasty. And like the most common reason someone gets it is like over time, there's a little bit of extra skin. Like when you apply makeup on the platform, it just looks like there's not enough room or the skin gets really lax and you can appreciate little wrinkles in it. And so you just cut out a little sliver of it. So it cleans everything up. It's the kind of surgery when like really well done, no one has known you have surgery, but you just look a little brighter, a little bit more refreshed. So many people tell me that I do the surgery and their friends are like, did you get a haircut? That's awesome. You look great. Like it's the kind of thing where you can't nail exactly what's happened, but it just opens someone's face up just a little bit. To be crass about it, are people coming in trying to look, they want to look younger? Is that usually what the aesthetic goal is? So, yeah, I would say motivations differ all over the place. I've heard the full spectrum, certainly, right? When someone gets a little bit older and they're just noticing that their eyes are sort of betraying them, like they look tired all the time, that's something that they'll want to fix. And, you know, when you look tired, you look old, right? Those 
two things tend to coincide. What I told you about the makeup is actually like really common. Someone's just like, I love to play with a look and now I can't, right? Like this redundant skin is getting in the way. So those are probably the more common things. I remember I had a guy come to see me and he's like, I own my own company. I look tired all the time and I don't feel like I'm an effective leader looking like this. And I was like, big up, I respect you, right? And so like he opted for blepharoplasty. Is it a part of a bigger plan that includes like under eye filler and Botox or other things? Because I know that the face is all connected, so you can't just change one thing when you're trying to target an issue. What is like a typical plan look like that someone would get? So I love little treatments scattered all over the face. I feel like you get the best result that way. Like little interventions, you know, like a little bit of a upper blepharoplasty, just like you mentioned, a little under eye filler, a little bit of light laser, you know, make the skin look really healthy and bright. But I'll be honest with you, some people are just like, they're in and they're out. They really don't have the patience for the plan. They're just like, this is my concern. This is my goal. Can you help me? I do the surgery. They're gone. I never see them again. And then I have other people where like, we take the journey together over time. They really come to me to sort of like help me protect their face, you know, age over time as best as it possibly can. So if you're interested in an eye job as the new boob job to look more snatched or whatever you're sort of trying to achieve, is there any reason why you should, even if you're 28, say, or even 32 or 35, is there any reason that you should wait till gravity exerts its unrelenting force like further? Or yeah. is it okay to sort of nip it in the butt? Or, or can you quote unquote nip it in the butt? I think it's more important to focus on someone's anatomy rather than their age. If someone clearly just has redundant skin that sort of is just like getting in the way of them feeling like their best self, like just trim a little bit of it off. I'll be honest with you, it's like an in-office procedure, takes about an hour. Like I hear you, it sounds a little crazy to do surgery on someone who's in their 20s. I wouldn't do it on just anyone, but if the anatomy and their features are saying there is enough skin to take off and it'll be tasteful and you'll keep their eyelids healthy, you keep their eyes healthy, then why have them just be like, uncomfortable for that much longer. This is not the best example, but like, I remember my girlfriend, we've been besties since college. And since then, since she was like young, she had the deepest, darkest circles under her eyes. And like, she didn't know she could do anything about it. And then fast forward like decade and a half. And like, I'm in this field and she comes and she sits in my chair and I fill them up. And she's like, you mean I could have had this done like back then? And I could have just looked okay and been happy? Cause like her eyelids hadn't changed in all that time. Like I clearly had seen her at the age of 18, 19. And she'd always look that way. So the answer is it depends. It totally depends. It's all about your features. So like the whole impetus of us wanting to have you on today was this Allure article that we had sent you earlier, which was making the connection of this is one of the first invasive, they focus on the brow lift, but really like eye surgery in general currently is one of the first invasive plastic surgeries versus we all know like filler, Botox, whatever has been like, is basically like getting a coffee today for a lot of people. But it's one of the first more invasive surgeries to like really take off, especially amongst younger women. Is that reflective of what you're seeing in your practice? I will say that younger women are coming into my practice more now than ever. There's no doubt about it. There is definitely something like post-lockdown, pandemic. There really is like this real impetus to take care of ourselves and like specifically like our appearance, like our face. And now that like we're re-emerging, right? There is like a rush on top of a rush. You know, like everyone's just, I want to present my best self. Well, okay, I when can't... we say young though, how young are we talking? 20s, mid-20s. 
Oh, wow. And, and is that not alarming? I mean, I'm going to play like my mom for a second. Is that not alarming that 25-year-old people are coming in getting a major invasive plastic surgery? I mean, some might say they haven't even aged yet. Gravity hasn't even really taken its toll yet. How do you approach a younger patient you know, versus a patient who might be in their 50s? Yeah, that's why that article was so interesting to me, because the things that it was mentioning are not part of like my lived experience. That's not what I'm seeing. For sure, brows are having a serious moment, but I think they have been, right? From microblading taking off and then everyone really sort of like ultra fixated on like the position of their brow. I do have younger people coming in and they are interested in lifting their brow, but there's no resistance to like minimally invasive procedures. Even if they think they want surgery, I'm like, hun, let's slow this down. I'm not saying no, like I'm not your mom. I'm not doing that. But let's try something a little less invasive and let's see how that goes. We do a little Botox, they're thrilled, right? Like the conversation about surgery is over. I'm not the surgeon who's like entertaining surgery without doing something less invasive just to see how it goes. And so I would say most of the people that come in thinking they want surgery are, yeah, it doesn't actually happen. And the people that are coming in, would you say they're pretty well educated or they've really done their homework to understand what they're asking for? Or are they kind of like seeing a TikTok or like the caption of one of those celebrity, you know, those celebrity plastic surgery Instagram accounts that kind of you have somebody who didn't treat the woman in the photo, but they're listing off all the procedures that they think she had done. Are they just repeating out the name of the procedure or do you find that they really understand what they're getting into? I think it's both. I think there's just so much information out there and like people try and do their due diligence. Like they do, they think they're doing the right thing by doing the internet deep dive, but unfortunately they like get misled. But I like, I appreciate someone who like comes in who has all this knowledge and is looking for me to help them sort out the best plan for themselves. But they typically have spent considerable amount of time combing the internet before they end up in my chair. What's the most popular photograph, like popular celebrity that you get shown? Zero. That was another thing because that article was saying like, and granted, Bella is gorgeous. Those brows, those eyes, like phenomenal. No one's ever showing me a picture of Bella. I don't know if it's because I'm in Brooklyn. We're like a little bit more chill. No one is trying to look like a celebrity. Everyone's like looking at their own face and they're like, I love it when I do this. Do you know what I mean? I don't get the person that's trying to emulate someone else's face. Thank goodness. I would have so much trouble with that. For the most part, it's someone who really like already loves their face and is trying to like just optimize it to that like tiny bit degree more. And I guess that's kind of part of doing your homework, right? Is really making sure that you've studied yourself and understand like what what kind of incremental changes that like, you want to see in the end. That's my biggest fear of like, I see these people taking off their dressing after they've had surgery. And like, my biggest fear is like doing that and being unhappy. Like, do you use Photoshop when you're showing people or? I literally, this is going to sound so crude, Just like, like so Snapchat ridiculous. Filters. <laughs> right imagine <laughs> I literally just take my finger and like a q-tip and I'm just like mm -hmm. a little bit this way a little bit that way like I just show them the direction we're going for I can see like the enthusiasm or the like that's what I want or that's not what I want and it helps us have the conversation the person who's just like staring at some celebrity photo like you're never going to make them happy you're never going to make them happy like staying in a healthy plastic surgery place you're going to go into some like other world of treatments that like I don't want to participate in back to these Instagram accounts that Annie turned me on to where they're it's usually like a Russian <laughs> bot it seems like it's a Russian sure. bot who's like diagnosing what surgeries these 20 year old celebrities have had 
And like, I sometimes look at them and I start screaming and Casey's like, what, what's wrong? Because it's literally like a 23 year old girl. And they're saying she had a rhinoplasty, a brow lift, an eye lift, a neck lift, a jaw realignment. Like, do you believe that there are surgeons in Beverly Hills in New York who are doing a lot of surgeries to people under 30 years old? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Not like you're too young. Like this is, this is sick. We're not going to do a brow lift on a 22 year old. Isn't a brow lift like what you get when you're like 60? There are lots of people getting all different kinds of plastic surgery at young ages. There are some parents like, you know, bringing people that are, you know, less than 18 in for plastic surgery. And I think some surgeons probably develop a reputation for doing like, large transformations, right? That's what they like make their reputation on. And everyone knows that if you've got a kid and you're ready to like have her be the swan you dream her to be, you know, whatever you send her to, I'm going to say him, I'm just being a jerk. Um, But (laughs) yeah, for sure it happens. But the eyes are like, that's a pretty sophisticated, I'm trying to think when I was, you know, a teenager and it was was nose jobs, nose jobs, that was it, boob jobs. I think I, I, my whole thing was there were no, no one, no 18 year olds were getting boob jobs. Were they? Oh yes. Oh yes. Nick. Oh, not in my world. They were, it was all nose jobs, like clueless, you know, but, uh, eye surgery was like never something that would have even crossed my mind. It feels like very sophisticated. sophisticated. Yeah. You seem, and you look like a very warm and loving and open and, uh, wonderful person. Diplomatic, you would say? A diplomatic <laughs> sorts. Does that aspect of the industry and also like that direction of the industry not chill you to the bone? Totally. I have conversations with my patients about this all the time. I have women who come and they sit in my chair and they'll say something to me like, I believe I'm a feminist. Am I less of a feminist for sitting in your chair and getting these treatments and having these conversations with you? And I'm like, how do you think I feel holding the scalpel, like holding the needle? What's up with me? You know, it's a complicated conversation, right? Like I had a woman in my chair yesterday and I've been taking care of her forever. And she's so intelligent, so on the ball. And she's like, I have a daughter now. What example am I setting to her that like her face isn't okay? Like, so I get it, but Listen, I've always been a disaster with makeup and I don't know how to do an eye or a lip to save my life, but I can inject some Botox and do some filler. So is the fact that like my intervention walks around with my face rather than comes off at night, is that a dividing line? So what's the distinction? Do you know? So like, am I less committed to like standing up for my sisters and being a feminist and not sort of like kowtowing to certain standards because I decide to have treatments and decide to do that for other people as well. So I don't know. It's a tough question that I ask myself all the time. Is that part of when you made the transition to focus purely on like the aesthetic side after studying, like you said, the 360 of the eye, no pun intended, but was that on your radar at the time of something to even question or were you just like, no, looking back, this is what I want to do? Not at all. Like it was just like pure love. I love what I do. I love eyelid surgery. I love handing a patient the mirror and seeing that like spark, that glow in her eye when she sees the treatment done. I'm obsessed. I knew that I was on the right direction because like I can geek out on this stuff for hours. I can watch eyelid surgery from the beginning of the day to like time to go to bed and like I'm not tired. I'm super thrilled. So like that wasn't a question. And like, you know, a little bit of selfishness too. I want to know what best treatments are out there. Like how is the industry evolving and moving? Because like I want some for myself, you know? So yeah, there was no quandary when I was like deciding on my path at all. 
Have you seen the new TV show on Showtime called Z-Way? So Z-Way is a comedian. She had a YouTube show. And then during quarantine, she started this Instagram live show where she would interview celebrities and sort of pseudo celebrities about race and racism and call out culture. And she ended up getting a show at Showtime. And the first few episodes have now gone up. And she talks about being African. And in one of the episodes that's about beauty standards, which is already online, she goes to a plastic surgeon and asks for a consultation. And he uses words like we could refine this and we could do, you know, like just these different coded, what she seems to sort of Mm -hmm. be saying, social experiment, is that a lot of these words are sort of colonialist ideas that like, Mm -hmm. we're like talking about refining her nose, or we're talking about these different things. And, you know, what do you make of the idea of changing things about your face that might be part of your race or part of your ethnicity or part of your idea or considered part of those things and using these words to describe an aesthetic like refinement? It makes me cringe. There's no doubt about it. And clearly, it's an issue in the industry. And you just said it. And you know, this example is just like one, but you know, it's pretty plentiful in that like, it's an older white man, typically, and it's a younger female and like pick the ethnicity or the race. I think my practice is doing really well. And it's not because I'm the best surgeon in the world, but it's because literally who I am and what I look like and sort of like being the embodiment of something different. I think like being a black woman, I have people that walk into my office and they're just like, thank you. There's like a relief to sitting in my chair and being seen by me and not like automatically, you know, going through their face and figuring out how I can make it look a little bit more Eurocentric. I'll be honest with you. I think there are there. I mean, it's even described this way. There are codes in plastic surgery. The ideal face looks like this. You put it together like this. And they're clearly based on like a white ideal. And again, I'm going to hash it up to living in Brooklyn. Like I think the thing that makes us look funky and different is probably the thing that makes us look the best and is what makes us really beautiful. And so when you're analyzing someone's face, that's the thing you want to play up. And if it's like their nose or if it's like something that's like intrinsic to their ethnicity, you don't try and erase that thing. You try and play up all the features around it. So I think it's just like, as with any industry, we're going to evolve, you know, the times will change. And these white guys that are telling women that they need to refine their nose, like they're just not going to see as many patients. And they're going to have to figure out that not everyone wants that whatever standard of a nose. So it's an interesting time for sure. Yeah. And also with injectables and non-invasive treatments, we've had a few conversations, one with an esthetician, one with someone who makes sunscreen, that of the problem that a lot of non-white people who are interested in beauty treatments face is that a lot of the studies or a lot of the information or education is based on white examples or white people who've been tested on. So things aren't maybe tested on melanin-rich skin or on different tones and types. Do you find that, you know, as a black woman in this field that you're constantly having to sort of figure out like, okay, well, what about maybe not me because you're the practitioner, but what about everyone else either in school or and beyond? Yeah, no, but it is and me, to be honest with you, because like I said, like I'm selfishly motivated as as well. Like I don't bring any treatment into the practice that I can't do on myself. And my auntie's not going to come running to me like me first. I want, you know, like I want first dibs. I remember just the other night I was watching like this virtual meeting and they were talking about some laser technology and someone said like, oh, what settings do you use on like a darker skin tone? And literally the person who was like, the expert in this modality was chosen to speak on it to this audience went, I don't, I don't know. I I just, I wouldn't. 
You know, and I'm like, how that's, is that an it's acceptable not an answer. answer. Correct. No. Like, how yeah. are you the spokesperson? You know, so I would say that if I can't do the treatment for myself, if I can't have it in my practice and do it for everyone, I'm not doing it. Right. So for me, like you just don't get my business and therefore you don't get my patient's business if you can't prove that you've done your due diligence and it's okay for all skin tones. I feel like that can't be underestimated, especially when you're deciding who to go to for any of this stuff, whether it's invasive or non-invasive, going to someone who knows enough to say, oh, that laser with your skin tone or type, that laser is a terrible idea or that type of filler is a terrible idea because you have thinner skin or you're prone to hyperpigmentation or whatever it is. I did a surgery on someone this morning and she has a little bit more of like a complex reconstruction that we have to do and it has to be done in phases. And I remember the first thing I said to her, I was just like, okay, so we're doing phase one today. And because summer's coming and you have a darker skin tone, let's plan on seeing each other like September, October. And she's like, why do I have to? And I'm like, because of your skin tone, there are certain considerations that we have to think. And she's just like, oh, I never imagined that like my approach to surgery would be personal that much. And I'm like, of course, you know, like these are the things that matter. So when did you start your own practice? Let's see. That was six years ago. And how has it been to build your own business and brand? It's such a roller coaster. <laughs> Nothing in medical school teaches you one iota about running a business. Then like, what's the expected path then if you're not going to open your own practice? like In a hospital. Oh, in a hospital. I mean, I think the whole system is rigged, but don't get me started on that. That's a whole (laughs) other conversation. Um, But yes, there's not even like a seminar. There's not even like a one hour, here's what you need to know, quick and dirty. There's nothing. But it's been like a fun, wild, but like extremely satisfying ride. Not specifically because it's medicine. I think that's just like the nature of entrepreneurship, like getting up, falling down, figuring it out. But like the bonus of medicine is you're taking care of people along the way. And before you you were in private practice, were you at a hospital? Yeah. So I was at the hospital up until recently. What I would do is I would go and I would help the residents in training learn how to operate. So like would consult for a couple of other practices. So I would jump around to different offices and see their patients. I quickly learned through that, that that's why I needed my own office. I was just like, I can't handle the way you run your business. Like I can't, I need my own. How are you running yours differently? Because you get to do exactly the way you want to do it. How do you do it? So my appointment slots typically were 10 to 15 minutes. They would give me 10 to 15 minutes to hang out with a patient, figure out what's wrong with them, tell them they were having surgery with me and expect me to educate them on everything they need to know about their condition and their surgery and their recovery and like build some sort of rapport, like absolutely ludicrous. Now, if I'm doing a surgical consult with someone, it's an hour. Like you have my utmost attention. Let's go through it. It's your face. It's your eyes. Let's bring in the old photos. Let's really delve. And not to sound hokey, but like, it's about the relationship. It's not about the scalpel, right? Like we need some time. People spend more time with an interior designer. (laughs) I also can imagine that in plastic surgery, much like in dermatology, a lot of it's unpacking a lot of self-esteem. You know, there's a lot more right below the surface than than just like, oh, I have a mole on my face. Can you remove it? It's what's going on? Like, why are we here? Totally. It's unpacking expectations. What's realistic? What's not realistic? Because unfortunately, people are looking for like the sometimes like the inner fix, not just the outer fix, right? And so you have to sort of like straighten out like what's really bringing you here and what can I actually achieve for you? And what is really like unrealistic in terms of Do you have those conversations? Yeah, for sure. Because you know what? I would 100% have that conversation with you. 
I, mean, I would with you. You're like, you're, yeah, yeah me too. But you're like, you're a different type of doctor than I've ever seen. Like you're oh. like a friend doctor. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's but true. Yeah. And, and that must be a big selling point that people can come in and comfortable enough that it's a holistic practice versus this targeted in and out eyelid surgery joint. Not the relationship. And again, I found, I said, I feel like I sound like such a like overly touchy feely, whatever, but you know what? Because sometimes when you unpack all that stuff, I realize I can't make this person happy. And it's better to know that before the surgery than afterwards. It's important for me to decide whether it's a project I want to undertake. And there's an old adage in surgery. You will never regret the case you didn't do. Okay. Okay. So can we get into nuts and bolts for one minute before we let you go? Okay. Okay. So how much is this all going to cost me? What are you talking about? Because we've (laughs) talked about a million things, right? (laughs) Are you getting like... To fix my childhood trauma and my self-esteem. Okay, no. So the interesting thing and the great thing for you is that this is a all cash industry. I guess you can use a credit card, but this is not stuff that's covered by insurance, generally speaking. And so people who are listening to this who are interested in maybe one of the things that we've talked about, how accessible is it or can it be? So if you were going to get, you know, your eyes done, like how much do you need to save to be able to do that? Like, what are we talking? Well, I'm going to intro this by saying that Prices vary based on the sub-specialization, like how much of an expert your doctor is. And then like so someone like, so I'm very expensive. <laughs> no, 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 no. But like someone who's in like a super duper metro area is going to be different than someone who's not. So I'm going to give you rough ranges. For yeah. eyelid surgery, and we're talking about maybe just uppers, just lowers, or the whole kit and caboodle. You're like... Do it all for me, please. I would say you're looking at anywhere from like 5000 to about 20000 And that is sort of the range of people with your experience level like that. that you, and that sounds like what you'd want to go to. If you were going to get this done, you want to go to one of the best who has the most training in that specific yeah. art. Everyone's got their own motivation. Some people are just yeah. like, I'm looking for the best price. Right. And I'm just like, I, I, I don't know how to interact with you on that level, but much power to you. Right. And That's some like, people I don't are wanna, like, I don't want two for one sushi. And I don't, want, <laughs> I don't, I don't want like a Groupon dermatology or plastic surgery. That's, that's where I draw the line. Are there any words or scenarios that for those of the people listening who don't live in New York or can't go to you that should make people run away? Like, how can you judge this and someone's ability to execute on the promise that they're making? What are the things to watch out for? Yeah. So I would say training counts. There's nothing more important. And like, I think for just the average person who is not versatile in medicine. Like it can get a little confusing, all the different designations. Like we were kind of laughing about the diplomat, but like that means I'm board certified. So you want to see that language somewhere. You want to see board certified, but you don't want to see board certified pediatrician. You don't want to see board certified internal medicine doctor. You want someone who's board certified in a surgical field. First and foremost, I'm seeing a lot of people who are board certified in sort of like medical, non-surgical fields who are like, oh, this seems interesting to get into. And, you know, you don't want to lend your face to someone in that category. So that would be my first recommendation. And like the other thing, this is just like my public service announcement in general. I think there's just such a huge stigma around plastic surgery that chances are someone you know has had something done and they're just like ashamed to say it. And what if they had like a great experience, they know a great doctor, but like everyone feels the need to conceal this stuff. I think if we would just break down this stigma, like we would all empower each other. 
then we wouldn't be going to see the spooky, scary doctor because we would just ask our friends what great person did their great work that we think is the reason that they look awesome all the time and see that person. By keeping it a secret, we just hurt each other. Are you okay with people going for non-invasive procedures, injectables, et cetera, to a really good PA or nurse practitioner, like someone who's not a board certified either dermatologist or plastic surgeon for those types of things? I'm kind of a diva. I'm, I don't know. I like, I don't know. I, I say, see the doctor. I say, see the subspecialist, but I'm clearly biased. I only know people who have the training I do and do things the way I do. So that's why I feel that way. I just, I know the depth of knowledge I have about anatomy and what can go wrong and what can go right and the implications of like little nuances. And that's what I would want for my face. So I can't say something different for others. I follow a bunch of dermatologists and plastic surgeons on Instagram and like, they're all like, please go see a board certified physician in aesthetics. Don't like. Don't go to the spa. We're jerks. I get it. Like everyone's just like, A, there's not a plastic surgeon around the corner. B, chances are like you've got all these medical school debts to pay and you're going to cost more. So I get it. And it's like as a customer, the vibe in some doctor's offices can be so much less comfortable than the vibe in some of these, let's call them medi spas. You know, you know, it can be a lot more, it can feel a lot less intense. When I was decorating my office when I was like having it designed, I like reached out to an architect designer and I was like, have you ever done a medical practice before? And she was like, no. And I was like, perfect, you're hired. Cause the last thing I wanted was it to feel like clinical and like a doctor's office. Like it just kind of like feels like hanging out in someone's living room. No, I used to share my office with a dermatologist and she's like, can we have white orchids? And I was like, no. And she's like, please, please, please. <laughs> Patients really respond well to white orchids. And I was like, oh Jesus. <laughs> so I hear oh, you. That's where it comes from. It's like, comes from like textbook. <laughs> They'd be extinct otherwise. They're very hard to keep alive. Only a doctor. Nick, I think it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Product. Product. Of, product of the product the of the week. Week. My product of the week is not a beauty product. It is actually a baby product. I'm obviously in baby land. And this is also not SponCon. This is something that I actually discovered on my own and bought. It's a subscription from a brand called Love Every or Lovery. I don't know how you pronounce it. L-O-V-E, Lovery, Lovery.com, L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y. Anyway, it is essentially a children's toy company that's been developed by scientists and researchers in early childhood and infant development. And what they have, which is what we got, is something called the Play Kit, which you can buy a subscription to. And every so often, every few months, when your baby reaches a new developmental milestone, they'll send you a kit with a bunch of toys that are meant to stimulate whatever developmental processes they're going through at that moment. So for example, when the baby's really young and they can only see black and white, they send you black and white cards that they can look at when they're doing tummy time. You give them your child's birthday and then they just start sending you toys. And as someone who like doesn't live in an enormous house, I didn't want to have our house become overrun with shit that she didn't need and that we didn't want in the house. And I also love 
research-backed things in general in every aspect of my life. But anyway, the subscription from Lovery, Love Every, sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong, is really cool because you just get, you have to, you kind of set it and forget it. Then you get a package in the mail with a bunch of really nicely made toys that are developmentally appropriate for the baby and that for the next three months will entertain her and you can feel good about. Do you send the toys back after they've passed that milestone or you no okay well really brilliant nonetheless you can buy three kits for 228 dollars. each kit comes with three months worth of toys or you can buy per kit and it's 80 bucks a kit and the stuff is really nice we love playing with the the like this month she got a mirror because she's <laughs> discovered looking at herself Aww. and she can be really fascinated for long periods of time with that it's if you don't really want to try to do the research on which is the best toy and which don't have the coatings that are bad for babies like i trust this company to send this package and then we don't have like a huge clutter or glut of plastic shit we don't need i love that what do you got okay i have a product that i've never tried which goes against everything that I stand for in this segment. However, my head of operations for my company, her name is Jen. She came in one day to work and she had the most beautiful reddish pink, not neon, but like electric. The way it stood out against her face was just like so beautiful eyeliner. And it was like this metallic little line above her eyes. And it just looked so beautiful. It, it, it was really stunning. And come to find out, it was from Violette's line. It's her yuh paint in rose and or Rosedale Aurora. What? She has very long names, Nick. You, you're familiar with, with her launch because you guys are friends. Yeah. The product is her eye paint in French, yuh paint. Is that eye? <laughs> That's perfect French pronunciation. Really? No. Look, I studied Spanish, so ojos. It is ye, pa. I don't ye, know. pa. <laughs> Every word that starts with a P in French is just pronounced pa. <laughs> Bread, pa. <laughs> anyway, and the shade is Rose de Aurore, and it just looks stunning. I just, I want it. I'm going to buy it now. It's and like a, how would you describe the color? Like I just did earlier. <laughs> No, I was, on the, I was trying to find out how to figure out what the name of the product was. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's like a hot pink red metallic, which sounds garish like in the description, but it is really in- incredibly beautiful. And the product itself is obviously, like I said, it's a paint. It comes in a little doe foot applicator, lip gloss looking tube. And in her videos and Violet's videos, she's lining it on directly just with the applicator against the lash line. And yeah, I just... I think she did a really great job with the colors. 28 bucks. You can buy it on violettefr.com. Violette is amazing. She's an incredible makeup artist, an incredible person. We should have her on the pod now that the launch of the brand has calmed down a bit because she's forging her own path. She was a makeup artist in Paris. Then she became one of Dior's faces of their makeup line. Then she became one of Estee Lauder's makeup ambassadors she in the meantime developed a huge following on youtube as a youtube influencer essentially and now she launched her own brand so i'm glad to hear that you're into it even without knowing that she's a friend can you pull some strings can you 
I'm going to get you some. I want the red lipstick too. It just, I don't even like lipstick, but it looks so good in the photo. She really knows what she's doing when it comes to color. Nick, I think that's it. That's it for us this week. I've given it all. Oh, yeah, me too. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamyn Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Simon Abronowitz. No, Our, it's not. It's by Danny. Nope. Danny Prezant. Our cover art is by Simon Abronowitz. You can follow us on Instagram, Eyewitness Beauty, or you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. We will certainly be back next week with a brand new episode. Great review subscribe please someone write a review for us we haven't had a new review in like a week and i feel like just the reviews are getting a little stale we will talk to you next week bonsoir adieu